Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. Additionally, I am certified in Reiki Level 2 as a practitioner and in EMDR. You can find me online through my website, which is nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy. You can find archived episodes of this show on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. So I am excited to introduce my guest today. They are revolutionizing gender and fashion with gender-neutral footwear. Nick Casey left their job at Google, which was a dream job at one time in their life, to embark upon this life mission and dream to expand beyond themselves and change the world's perspective on fashion, not based in gender, which fashion has traditionally been based in gender. Today, we're going to talk about gender being subjective, and let's go beyond the binary with Nick Casey. Welcome, Nick. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I know you're recovering from a cold, so I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm wondering where you would like to begin the story about your journey. Um, well, I guess uh, we can start from... When uh, I realized that I was tired of not being able to find uh, shoes in my size that fit my style and my identity. Yeah. And I was tired of being told that, uh, you know, I needed to go to the women's section. And I couldn't understand why, if I liked a certain pair of shoes based on a style, that why it mattered whether I was a guy or a girl. Okay. What my gender was really shouldn't dictate what I should be able to wear or not, right? Yeah. Uh, I left my job and I, I decided to go traveling throughout Europe and, and go to different shoe fairs and find out why nobody was making the type of shoes that I wanted to wear. Can I ask you how old you were yeah. at that point, just to get a, a you know a picture of of you and where you came from? How old? Yeah, were you at sure. That time? I mean, uh, I only started this about three years ago. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so it was really, I was like, what, 39 or 38 at the time? Okay. And, uh, you know, I was uh, relatively late in life to, to go realize my dream because I'd always been a workaholic. And so I, I'd been working basically from the moment I graduated college, you know, back in 97. Okay. Uh, so so I, I just, uh, I never took a break. I never went on vacation. I just worked, 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 you know, and that's how I was raised. Um, because we, you know, we, I didn't come from like a well-to-do family or anything. So I always struggled to make sure that whatever I was doing, that I was, I was doing something that I was passionate about and that I was happy doing, but it didn't always mean I made a lot of money and that was okay as long as I enjoyed what I was doing. 
Okay, so you came from a background with a strong work ethic, is my sense. And I know you were born in Hong Kong, China. Was any of that... It, was any of that imparted by by your family, the work ethic, and and your culture? Well, definitely. I think you know. Uh, I think the Chinese culture in general is is stereotypically hardworking. You know, like yeah, with the with the stereotype of like Chinese restaurants never closing, right? It's kind of oh yeah, same, yeah, same values across the board. I think for Chinese culture is that you know we always work. Even if we're sick, we work. We're tired, we're, we work. You know, we don't take days off. And what I realized was that um, that's not healthy, uh, right? So when I, yeah, so when I had the opportunity to, um, you know, reevaluate like what I wanted out of life, I had, you know, I already had my dream job at Google, and um, it wasn't uh, going in the direction that I had wanted it to. And I really felt like, you know, I wanted to go into management, really like manage a team, and it wasn't. Mm. Um, going in like things weren't going the way they planned you know there's a lot of reorgs and things like that and so when i had to really ask myself like where where do i want to be like what do i want to do with my life i realized yeah you know i've always been working so why don't i take time to figure things out also i've always wanted to have transitional surgery Mm -hmm. uh, but i never made time for it because i i knew that if i got surgery i wouldn't be able to work so i already put i always put work first Yes, and, uh, and I never put myself first. And so, what I think the shift was for me was that I realized that nobody else was going to put me first except for me. Yeah. Everybody else, whether it's companies, whether it's people, they will never put me first. So why don't I put myself first? Myself, you know. Um, it, yeah, it sounds like it was a job. big awareness yeah. that you had in those yeah. moments during that time. Yeah. Exactly, and and so I, I left my job, and everybody was very supportive. You know, I told them I Good. wanted to, to transition. I wanted to do all the things you know, I wanted to do, but I never made time for. I went traveling throughout Europe by myself for like nine weeks. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, it was really cool because I was recovering from surgery, so I was able to just like take everything really slowly. Go to you know, I, went, I think I went to like thirteen different cities. And I just like took my time with each city and really like absorbed what was happening locally and like living the life that locals lived and, and just really like getting the culture. So and then in the meantime, you know, being very, you know, a multitasker and very efficient, I had to make sure that I was still also doing something else, you know. So that was like the research part of uh, shoemaking and being part of the shoe industry. So, yeah, I was about to ask you if you knew what you were doing there, so to speak, on this journey, nine weeks in Europe. So it it was to investigate shoe materials, shoe making. Is that accurate? That was part of it. I mean, certainly not the the main part of it. Uh, That was, I would say, like, you know, it was a 60-40%, right? 60% of it was it was on my bucket list to go travel in Europe because as an art major, it was all those architecture and art that I studied but never got to see in real life. Yeah. So I knew that, like, I, I should have done it when I was younger, but I didn't know the value of travel at a young age because I'd always been moved around a lot, you know. And so um, what I realized was that it's not too late. So now at an age where I was an adult and I could afford to do it on my own, I got to just take my time and really soak it in. Uh, but, you know, 40% of that time I was like, okay, but I also want to go to tanneries. I want to go to factories. 
I went to all of the best shoemakers, you know, in Europe to see, you know, how things are done. And then to ask them why nobody was making shoes that were representing this other community that I was a part of. What did they say? They said that they knew, they recognized the niche was there, but they said that what they realized was that nobody felt that it was worth doing. The gender gender equal shoes? Yeah, basically, you know, I think for them, the niche was more of creating masculine shoes for women's feet. Oh, yeah. You know, and and they, because they looked at me and I was like, that's what I was looking for for myself. And they said that we know there's this population of, you know, cisgendered women or trans men or people who are born with, you know, female bodied feet who wanted to wear masculine shoes. But it was not worth it monetarily. The return on investment would not be worth it for them. Okay. And how did that, you? That how was, did you first, okay. and then I'll ask you. Well, I think I'm about to answer your question. Is it made me feel like crap? You know. So basically, okay. I was like, "You're telling me my community is not worth it." Okay. And so I was kind of like, you know, screw you. I'm going to show you, we are worth it. And uh, and instead of just making you know, masculine style shoes for my feet, I decided that I was going to go a step further because I would be a hypocrite if I, you know, negated the existence or the needs of the rest of the community. So I decided to make gender equal shoes instead Mm -hmm. so that I could show the world or make a positive impact and change perception about what it means to have gender equality. And through fashion, we can probably hopefully attain that sense of quality or equality, you know? Um, yeah. Because so you, you answered two yeah. of my questions that I had. My first one would, was going to be, how did you respond to them? And, and, you know, you felt my sense is unimportant. And then that fuel, you know, my other question was going to be, how have you used misunderstanding, anger, feeling pissed off to fuel your mission? And I think you've begun to articulate that as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, in addition to that, most of the time, every, you know, I'm masculine presenting, trans, you know, I'm a trans masculine bodied person, right? So mm-hmm. when I showed up in uh, most of these, you know, shoe fairs or factories or, you know, wh- whatever warehouses, you know, the moment I walk in, it's almost like the record just stops and then mm. everyone stops what they're doing and they all turn around, they all stare at me. And then I can hear whispering because nobody knows what to do with me. And I can hear in their faces, it's the big question, like the deer in headlights. They're like, is that a boy or a girl? You know, and I think for me, the, the humor in it that I take, the approach that I take, I find it amusing that it matters to them what gender I am. So I was going to ask how that felt for you. So you found it on one hand amusing? Well, I mean, it's it's terrifying in a sense because I'm like I don't know how they will react right like am I going to get beat up you know um, is someone going to jump me in an alley you know like am I okay being left alone right now like you know can I go to the bathroom which bathroom do I go into yeah things like that those anxieties exactly and and most of the shoe industry is located in very rural kind of areas that are like very archaic you know they're very Mm. old school because uh, especially during, like really great shoe manufacturers, they've been doing this for generations. Right. So they're really old school, but they're also the best at what they do. 
so for was me, it, it was like I wanted I wanted to be in those places because I wanted the quality, but I also wanted to have a, an honest conversation with them that was like, you know, are they going to be open to what I'm doing? And most of the time, they were not. You know, I got I fought and fought like the whole the whole journey was uh, a struggle uh, okay. because every time I I approached them with my idea, which was I want to create a gender equal shoe line. And so I wanted to change the last, which is the mold of the shoe. Right. And every time, no matter what country I was in, they would tell me, that's not how you make a shoe. It's either a woman's last or a male last. Mm. And I said, you know, not anymore. Like, that's literally what I'm trying to change. And just because you haven't done it before like this doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that I want to try something different. And if it comes out wrong and it doesn't fit or it you know, messes up or, you know, it doesn't work, then that's then on me. Right. right? And you'll, you'll retool you. that. Right. Exactly. And so is, is that where you start developing the double insole, like the removable insole? Yeah. Yes. And so yeah, how... You know, go on. And then I'll yeah. ask you a question. No, no. No, you go ahead. I was curious how, how easy or difficult was it to gain access to these factories and places that you went to and the people you met with? Well, I will tell you that the first time I showed up at the shoe fair in Italy, nobody would talk to me. Mm. So one one reason was what I found out later from uh, someone who I was referred to later that explained to me was number one was because I was Asian. And because I was Asian, people suspected I was from China trying to steal designs. Wow. So no talked to me because of that, first of all. Second of all, because of homophobia. Okay. Right? Because they didn't know how to approach me because they didn't know if I was a guy or a girl. And thirdly, because it's an industry that is very old school in the sense of everybody knows everybody. Everyone that's been in the shoe industry has been in it for decades. So when you go to shoe fairs, it's the same people over and over again. So everybody knows everybody and if nobody knows you, they're not going to talk to you because they, they don't know who you are, where you're coming from. So, How did you I handle that and, and get through those barriers? Uh, well, the first day I was at the shoe fair, I just kept walking. You know, there's thousands and thousands of manufacturers from all over the world there. And I would try my best to, you know, be as friendly and, and try to explain, like, who I was, how I started this company, and that I wanted to, you know, create something that hasn't been created. And I try to tell them my pain of you know my struggle trying to find shoes yeah and you know for out of the thousands that were there i would say maybe like 16 of them actually acknowledged i existed okay and then maybe out of the 16 eight of them talked to me and was language a barrier no i think most of them spoke some english or had a translator okay because it's an international shoe fair so they're they got to expect that they needed to know english right mm-hmm. um but on the second day, uh, a friend of mine, and, and through my journey, I've been very blessed that I, as, I, as I travel throughout you know, every part of my journey, I've met different people who would be like, oh, I know someone who can help you. And so they would introduce me to somebody who would then introduce me to somebody else, somehow associated with the shoe industry. And I, I honestly, like, I don't know how I would have gotten as far as I have without those connections. That's awesome. Just, like total strangers who you know, happened to be referred to me through somebody that I knew, um, you know, especially like my, like my lawyer who I got referred to through my accountant, like he helped really like introduce me to somebody who was in the shoe industry who then helped me introduce like a bunch of other people. 
Um, and so on the second day of the shoe fair, an uh, Italian a agent who's been in the industry for like 30 years yeah. met with me. Who He happened to be there, uh, Giovanni, and he met with me. And he was so kind and so generous with his time and walked me all over and, you know, talked to me and, and heard what I needed. And then he would use his relationship with these manufacturers to talk to them and got them to make samples for me. Are you serious? Even, no, totally. Like That's and awesome. Like, subsequently, yeah, we met back in Florence where he lived. And then he took, he drove me around like the whole day and taking me to different, you know, tanneries and manufacturers to like meet with them in person so I could see their factory because I told them it was very important for me to see where the shoes would be made, how yeah. they're made, and who's making them. Like, are people happy there? Are they healthy? Exactly. Are, you know, what is the health standards? Like, those are things that are important to me. So he You're concerned about the workers. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, so it was really, you know, amazing. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't end up, you know, going into production in Italy because okay. I have found the samples that were made they were still very stuck on this idea of like, this is a female shoe. So they, they really just didn't understand the concept of what I was trying to do. They weren't open and, to the, the, you know, general, uh, like the last being for men and women. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I, and I understand why, you know, because, you know, basically I think, uh, traditionally, you know, we think of, you know, bodies, right? Like if we look at the male, cisgendered male and cisgendered female bodies, sure. Proportionately, they are different, right? Men have bigger bone structure. Their hips are different. I mean, there are very specific things about their bodies that are different. Right. And I know that in feet, there are some aspects of the proportion that is different. I absolutely understand that. But I also think that the shoe industry has culturally manipulated us or conditioned us to believe that men are supposed to have bigger feet and that women are supposed to look like they have tiny feet. And mm. the reality of today if about how bodies have evolved is that proportionally we have evolved. You know, we look at a lot of the women that exist right now, you know, they're much taller than they used to be. You know? Yeah. And and they're and men like, you know, not all men are bigger, right? There are men who are smaller bodied. And depending Absolutely. on geographically you know, geographically where, you know, the, the people are from, their body types change. So what I realized I wanted to do was I didn't want to fall into the, the ideals of what has always been. I wanted to create a new ideal, which is I'm going to make something in a proportion that I think is kind of a happy medium between the two. And yeah. without the concept that one gender should have any bigger or smaller sizes and that there's just no gender and that if a shoe fits you or if an item or product fits you, your style and your size, then that's all that matters. You get to dictate what your identity is and how you want to classify yourself. Your clothing is not going to dictate that. Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, can I share yeah. something that I came across and just researching you and listening to another interview and reading? I'm hearing that you're talking 
what I'm thinking as the concept of fashion and culture merging. And just as I heard you talk about the story of your grandmother and how her feet, you know, were binded and your memory of her. And one question I have is I wondered how, how that memory, you know, has influenced you in your work. And to share that I'm half Asian, my father's from Pakistan. So I really relate to that work ethic of, um, it's hard to allow ourselves to take a break. So I think you did, you know, you really stepped out of a, a cultural norm for you to go to Europe and spend that, you know, 60, 40 time. I think that was like a really big step into who you've become today and what your, your line reflects. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, even in my work ethic now as an entrepreneur is that, you know, in the very beginning, I really like overworked. I, I just never turned off, you know, because now yeah. you're on your own boss. There's no one telling you you have to be here at a certain time. So you actually end up working like 24 hours a day. Oh, yeah. Because you're just always on. Right. And mm-hmm. so I've been recently trying to get better at the fact of like, you know, I it's OK if I have like, you know, a four day work week instead, you know, and mm-hmm. I have to train myself like, OK, it's OK if I answer an email here or there, but like, well, let's not overdo it make sure I take time off to just spend time with my dog or spend time with my friends or go out and play like because I need to have that otherwise I'm going to basically you know burn myself out and you need that to fuel the creativity I think also those other moments yeah I was starting to feel burnt out and like ready to quit because you know it's a struggle you know starting a business is very hard and especially when you're starting something that no one else has done that mm-hmm. people don't necessarily grasp yet, um, it's even harder. There's m- so many more challenges. Nobody knows what to do with you. You know, I have people telling me constantly like, oh, Nordstrom's would love you, Barney's would love you, Zeppos would love you. But when I talk to those buyers, they're like, oh, we love your stuff, but they don't know where to put, what category to put me in. Right. They, those categories don't exist yet. So instead, they're like, oh, we already have brands like Doc Martin or Fry's. But I'm like... That's not the same. Exactly. They don't do what I'm doing. So I think that's why they're just not ready because they can't see it yet. But Mm -hmm. they're trying to monetize on the idea, right? They're they're starting to monetize on the idea of a gender-neutral fashion. But gender-equal fashion is something that, like, no one's really touched yet. Yes. And in terms of my grandmother, I think... um, you know, the feet binding, it's not even just my grandmother, but it's like a whole culture. Right. Not even just Chinese, but like worldwide with how women are subjugated to, you know, whether it's like, you know, uh, uh, private part mutilation to, you know, sex slaves and, you know, abuse and violence. And I mean, there, it's across the board of how women in general are constantly pushed down and bound in some way, not even just physically with their feet, but like culturally and, and through the society. And so I think for me, what I'm trying to do with my brand is, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to change pe- people's perception and create an equality by having people reevaluate like how they purchase things, you know? And mm-hmm. right, right now, like women pay more for less quality. Right. Like we know this, right? We know this across the board that women are told every season they have to buy new things. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice donut. 
Are you ready for love? America runs on Duncan. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. They have to buy things in all these different colors, in all these different styles, and they pay more for it even though things don't last as long for them because the industry knows they're going to be throwing that away and buying something new in the next season. Yeah. For men, they are sold things that are well-made. Yes. That are made to last, you know, and they're told, like, you only need four colors. You know, your browns, your grays, and your black and your white. Black, yeah. You know, or blue, yeah. And then that's it. Like, you can match whatever. Like, And it's really interesting to me because it's like, you know, what can we do as a society to make men's lives even easier, even though they're so privileged already? Right. It, it just bewilders me. And so for me, through my, my concept or my mission or my brand is, I, you know, I started off with these masculine presenting shoes. Because Your first collection, yeah. We're masculine yeah. of center. Yeah. That's what I knew, and I knew that was what was digestible for people. Because, like, like I said, most people they think of it, they think, "Oh, you just made men's shoes for women," and now, and in the beginning, I let them think that because that's what they could grasp. But as well, it, time passed, I'm, I'm trying to change their perception and realize that well, these are not just for women's feet; these are for everybody, because this is based on your particular preference of what your style is, and not based on your gender. And Nick, isn't it accurate as well that your first collection, the Masculine of Center design reflected as well where you were in your transition and development? So it was like a reflection from what I've gathered of you, which I think is really cool. And as you evolve, your shoes will evolve. Exactly. And and that literally has been my journey where, you know, I've always wanted to wear men's shoes. And so I made the shoes I've always wanted to wear because that's what I knew. You know, mm-hmm. that's like what was the, the, the percolating inside of my head, you know, in my heart. And so once I was able to make that, and as I transitioned and realized how I've become more, you know, comfortable in my own body and being in my own authentic body and being on this journey where now I have a voice and I have a platform where people actually like have to, like, they want to listen to what I have to say, um, I realized that I learned, had, I, I didn't even realize that throughout the past 30 years, I had learned to embrace my feminine side. Because Mm -hmm. before transitioning, I was fighting so hard to be masculine because I had to constantly prove that I was trans or that I was masculine presenting, but I couldn't because I had these boobs that constantly confused people. And, And I couldn't understand why when I had boobs, people would call me sir, but then after I got rid of the boobs, people would call me ma'am. And it was a total mind fuck because I was like, wow, like there's nothing I can do that will just get it right, you know? Yeah. But what what I realized though in that struggle, uh, and there was a lot of pain involved because it was like, you know, you know, do I do I want to be referred to as he? Do I want to be referred to as they? As she? Like, what was it? And everyone wants to put you in some sort of box because people need to label you so that they know how to refer to you Nothing and how to conceptualize us, right? Exactly. Like. But they, it's like people just need, like even my mom, like she, she needs to know, like, is that a man or a woman or is that trans? And, 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 and for me, it's like, well, why do you need to know? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter to me if you are a woman or a man. Why do other people need, why do they care? But, you know, what I realize is that I have to learn to be patient and compassionate about this. Like, not everyone's going to have the same mentality as I do about gender and how it's not important. Because there's a lot of people... You know, especially like trans brothers and sisters who fought so hard to be trans, they don't want to 
lose the identity of their gender, right? Because, and I respect that. I totally get it. But yeah. I just think that it's not, it shouldn't define you. Like, we shouldn't be defined by our We should define ourselves by the type of people we are. Are we good, decent people? Are we kind? Do we make a positive impact in the world? Those are the things that I think we should put more focus on. And so... And, yeah. Can I jump in really fast? Hope, yeah, go so, for it. Hearing, hearing you say that, it, it's just reminding me of, of what I've been gathering and learning about you and, and curious about at what age, as much or as little as you want to talk about, realizing that you were born in the wrong body and then going to work for Google, you know, and being happy and successful in that way and kind of taking that to, to really embrace, you know, something as fundamental as the shoes, like kind of like the tires that we wear, like the tires on your car being the foundation of, of one's vehicle, you know, and our shoes being the foundation of our bodies and that you've really taken something, you know, taken being born in the wrong body and made it into like a business of your dreams and then to help others and impact culture. With right now, you go to buy shoes online, it's men's and women's. Like how amazing when it will be, you know, gender equal shoes. Like I see that happening. So whatever one you want to answer first. I know I just do a lot out. Yeah, that's okay. Um, You know, I think that... I've always known, like, at a very young age, uh, mm-hmm. I remember taking care of my, my little cousins, and, like, I have one cousin that's, uh, two cousins that are boys, and then the rest were female, and I always wondered, like, why I couldn't have been born like my male cousins, and and I think even when I was, like, being in class, I always wish I was on the boys' team, or, like, I just I never understood why I was born in the body I was born into, and I was very depressed as a kid. Ah, uh, yeah. Suicidal. Yeah. And, uh, it took me a very long time, and, and, you know, and there was a point that I was a bully because that was, it was a multitude of things. I was an immigrant. I got teased. I got bullied. I got beat up because, you know, I didn't speak the language. They called me a chink, you know, like, it was a very tough time for me as, as a child, and... And in New York City, correct? When you yeah, came from New China. York City, yeah. Yeah. From, from Hong Kong, yeah. And and so it was um it was really tough. Like I really wish I was not born. I wish I didn't exist for a long yeah. time. And I and I sometimes wonder if it, like how like how did I transition mentally, you know, from mm-hmm. that place into a place where now like I live life in such a furious way, you know, like I Yes with such a fervor where, where I feel like every day has to mean something. Like everything I do has to mean something and everything has to have an impact or it's not worth doing, you know? And it's so interesting because when I look back and even when I talk to you about it, it's like, I remember being a kid and just wishing like I was dead and like yeah. why bother with anything, you know? But I remember that even though I was so depressed, I still like worked my ass off in school and like right. straight A, you know, like... A part of you believed in your existence, I think, at some level. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's that I believe in my existence or that I just didn't want to disappoint anybody. Ah, okay. Yeah, like there's that Asian guilt, right? Like we're raised to always get straight A's and be like perfect students. And, you know, and certainly I wasn't perfect. Like I wasn't, you know, the perfect kid, but but I always strive to not not let anybody down. So that kept you going. Along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kept me going, and I think somewhere along the way, in in in, in high school, uh, I, I moved and I went to this Catholic high school, and I remember breaking up a, a fight between two girls. I think we were arguing about like boys or something, 
Yeah. And, uh, and just being like, I can't believe you guys are wasting your energy over something so silly. You know, I'm like, you don't even know where I've been, like where I've come from. Like there used to be gang fights at my school. Like you guys don't know anything. And I'm breaking up this fight. And I remember one of the nuns being like, cause I went to a, a pr- private high school. Yeah. And they were like, the nun was like, you know, blessed art thou peacemaker. And I remember, mm. I think that was the moment that was like a pivotal moment in my life where it changed everything for me because I realized I have a clean slate here. Wow. I'm in this new state, new school with new people. Nobody knows anything about my past. I can be who I want to be here. And so I think that's when I made the switch to like, I'm going to be the peacemaker. I can do this because I've seen so much more than any of these kids have. And um, what a breakthrough. And, what I, and your identity yeah. and how you relate to yourself and your power exactly. in the world. Exactly. And back then, uh, I didn't even put any more emphasis on like my identity, like sexually, because I was so focused on being just the best I could be as a student, you know, and then I excelled. I excelled at art. I excelled at, you know, math and English, like everything that I could excel in. I, I tried to like, I, I think I graduated like seventh in my class or something like that. Wow. And, um, you know, because I just really believed, like, oh, you know what? I don't do anything half-assed. If I'm going to put my mind to this, I'm going to be the best version of me that I can be. Um, and I remember there was one girl in school that was, I think, queer. And uh, and I would always be so mesmerized, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, she had a mullet and, uh, and like, felt kind of like the stereotypical lesbian look. But I, I never knew for sure because we were never close. But I always wanted to be her friend. And, yeah. and I think that some point i think towards my senior year i think i started to realize like you know i i think i'm gay but it still didn't quite you know the light bulb still didn't really light up yet it was like slowly dimming up you know and it wasn't until in college that i finally realized that i was gay and but not only that but i went through a phase where like I i dressed super girly for a period because it was the first time in my life that nobody forced me to be you know, dressed up as a girl. Nobody forced me to, you know, eat. Like I had this total freedom because I, I left you could home choose. and I went to college. Yeah, yes. and I chose. And I was like, you know, what would it feel like if I chose to wear a dress? You know, and I went shopping and I, I, I bought all these like pretty clothes and I dressed up girly for like maybe a week. And then I realized that like everybody would stop me and be like, are you in love? And then it really <laughs> pissed me off. I was like, oh, so... Uh, the, the fact that I'm dressed up girly has to do with something because of someone a else. Guy. Yeah, yeah. But specifically, a guy that causes me to want to dress up feminine. Ah, uh, and uh, yeah, and it gave me too much attention, and I hate, I hated that attention. And so I, like, you know, a week later, I went back to my old clothes, and uh, you know, and that's a cool thing like a, about fashion: trying on yeah. identities. Yeah. And that's what I mean, like, why I think it's so important to have gender equal clothing, because mm-hmm. it, it, it really didn't matter how, whether I was queer, trans, lesbian, butch, straight, cisgendered, whatever, like, it did matter. It was, what mattered to me at that moment was that I had the freedom to express myself through fashion. And it, it had nothing to do with my gender identity or my sexuality at all. My orientation nothing to do with it, except that other people sort of making it about my orientation, you know? Right. And, and that it had to be a cause and effect of somebody else. 
And that's what I really was mad about because I was like, why, why can't I want to dress up for myself? Why can't I want to yeah. look feminine and beautiful because of me? That makes you happy. Exactly, you know. And, and, and likewise, if I wanted to dress up dapper in a, in a suit, yeah. why, why does it have to be about somebody else? Why isn't it just about how I felt that day? Maybe I woke up feeling like I want to be dapper today, you know? Yeah. Um, so so that's what I'm hoping with my, with my brand is that that's the perception that I want to start, you know, I guess preaching. You know, like I want to get everyone on board with this idea that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are how you identify and what your orientation is. Fashion is separate from that. It's a form, it's a tool, the catalyst of how you express yourself. And maybe yes. you could play that into your sexuality and, and people do, and of course we do, right? Um, whether yeah. it's lingerie or whatever, like, but that's your choice. That shouldn't it be is. dictated by society and it shouldn't be dictated by anybody, anybody else. And the clothing itself, the accessories themselves should not be the ones dictating why you wear it or how you wear it you should you know so, and nick so how is your how has your family responded to your journey and your your design line and your work well my mom uh and my late father was very very supportive mm-hmm. and, uh, and my mom continues to be incredibly supportive you know i haven't had a paycheck in two years and I have been struggling wow. very much so. And, and she has been very, very supportive of me. Um, and it's been really um, inspiring because, you know, not that many people can say that their, their parents are so supportive about their gender identity or their orientation or their, you know, risk-taking adventures, right? Um, right. My mom happens to be very supportive. I mean, she, she worries for me, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And she tries to... You know, always you know, tell me like you know maybe maybe you should have a backup plan or like try to find a job or you know. And she try, she's being a mom. Yeah. But, uh, but at the end of the day, she trusts my instincts and she knows that what I'm doing is for this greater good. It's not just about me. You know, it's about it's about us. It's about all of us. And I can you talk more very, about that? Your your what you like? Usually, it's the last question I ask a guest, but it's coming up now. What your what yeah. you'd like to be known for? What your mission is? Like more of what you just started to speak about? Yeah, I mean, it's basically you know, like I said, it's like I I want my legacy to be that you know one day people will look at fashion and realize that they're the ones who can dictate what what they're wearing and how they're accessorizing is how they want to express themselves based on how they feel and what their style is, not about their gender, not about their sexuality or their orientation. You know, it's just a, it's a, it's just a form, a tool for them to express themselves, like a mm-hmm. paintbrush, you know? And that, you know, you know, with my new line that I'm coming out with called Destiny, it's a completely, in my opinion, uh, genderless kind of style. So the design is really up to the beholder how they feel, if it's masculine for them or if it's feminine for them or if there's any kind of, you know, gender associated at all. It could be nothing, you know. If you're androgynous, it might be androgynous, and that's right. kind of the direction I'm going with this second second collection because I want to change the perspective. So now, you know, we have the queer community; they understand the the masculine center. But now I want them to start switching. I want, I want mainstream to be a part of this experience where they're like, oh, I love these shoes. So, and I don't even say if they're meant for women. So 
anybody can look at them and say, I love these shoes and, and be like, oh, do you have my size? And that's it. And then you yeah. can wear them. Or, you know, or maybe you won't wear them. I don't know. But, and then hopefully what, that hap- what happens is that they start realizing like, oh, you know, Bob and Carrie are both wearing the same shoes. How cool is that? That's yes. what to do with what gender they are or what orientation. Like nobody cares about those things because that's your private information. How you identify and what your orientation is, that's you. You do you, right? What you wear, I'm going to design something that you either feel like you can, you know, feel passionate about wanting to express yourself through through that, you know, paintbrush that I've created mm-hmm. or or not. And eventually what I'd like to do is once people realize that they're wearing the same things, you know, and not being limited by their gender and their identity, and they're paying the same pricing, they're going to start realizing like, hey, how come I make more than you, but I'm spending the same amount as you, you know? And like, maybe once people start buying the same things, they'll also start seeing the equality in, in themselves with each other. Right. And then, maybe they'll start wanting to support you and stand with you because they'll realize like, hey, yeah, you know, if, if you are made cr- crappy things, poor quality stuff, and I'm supposed to buy the same things, then I'm also going to be stuck buying poor quality stuff. But then if we're making high quality things that cost the same for all genders and all people, then people are just going to start realizing like, hey, yeah, we all should be making the same amount of money. We all should be, you know, having the same amount of expendable income, you know, and being able to see that, you know, the equality should be across the board, not only when it's convenient for certain people or certain certain demographics. And for our listeners, can I jump in for a second, Nick, to share? For our listeners listening, Nick's website is Nick, N-I-K, Casey, K-A-C-Y dot com. And I'm on your website in the second collection, the Destiny collection. These shoes called the Giorgios are on my wish list. They're so beautiful because I think the person that's in them would make them look, you know, however, because they're so, you know, they could be like feminine or masculine or just there's just such a perfect combination they're just stunning thank you very much you're welcome and eventually i'm also working on a high heel collection that's going to be in the same size range because ultimately that's like my ultimate like when i can get people's perception to be like wow everybody can wear high heels you know doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or trans or whatever like everybody can also wear high heels and I'm not saying everyone should wear high heels, you know, but I think that that's the part where, you know, people are so divided in terms of like, you know, well, high heels are only for women or trans women. Right. Or drag queen. And I think like, no, I think it's just another tool. It's no yeah. different than the masculine of center shoes. It's just a different type of style. And, and another expression of oneself. Exactly. Yeah, and we should get to dictate ourselves whether we can wear it or not, you know? What I look forward to you making a a comfortable line of high heels like we spoke about when we met in person because I have a pair of $1,000 Christian Louboutins that I can wear Mm -hmm. for 30 fucking minutes and then I have to switch my shoes and they're stunning. They're like a piece of art, but like I can't wear these bitches, you know, like to be out and about and it's, 
you know, it's sad because <laughs> yeah. I want to be able to no, wear them all day or all night because they're yeah, stunning. I agree. And, and that's my goal is to create a comfortable, comfortable pair of high heels. The problem is that I can't seem to find somebody who wants to work with me who really knows how to make high heels because, again, it's breaking down that barrier of like, in their mind, they're like, no, well, we don't make those kind of high heels because we only make high heels for women. So, Well, I know you will do this because you've already been doing it. So it's inevitable that you will have that manifested in your design line and in your collection. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. What other things are important for us to highlight today? I know I'm, one of the things I'm thinking about is, is, you know, I'm a psychotherapist and I work a lot in the trans community um, to, to help individuals as they want to have top surgery and needing to have the letters, you know, to certify that, that they can have top surgery, for example. And, and so it's been such an expansion and learning in my life as I work with the trans community. And just, you know, my hope is that one day these letters aren't needed because I think working in therapy has, has helped individuals discover their identity and articulate that, be it through top surgery or not. But, you know, women that get breast augmentation don't need to go see a therapist and talk about it. So I was kind of curious your thoughts about that, if you don't mind. No, no, no. I, I, I absolutely agree that, like, the letters really shouldn't be a requirement because we should obviously trust the individual that they, this is their choice about how they want to exist in this world. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, you know, for me, uh, growing up without any kind of exposure to the LGBT community and not having any role models or anyone to talk to about it, when I wanted to transition, throughout my whole life, I wanted to transition. I didn't think it was possible. You know, mm. I would look at, you know, transgendered people in media or like on the streets, you know, and, and they were always presented in a very negative way. And even my own family, you know, they would make jokes or like, there's a lot of transphobia that exists. There is a lot of transphobia, yeah. And, um, and I remember, I even told my mom on our trip recently that I was like, yeah, when I was a kid, I didn't want to, I didn't think it was going to be okay for me to come out because I didn't think that you guys would accept me because I grew up listening to jokes, you know, that you guys would talk about when we passed by like the, the meatpacking district in New York, you know, yeah. that's where all the homos lived, you know, and, and I was like, God, like every time I heard that, I would be like, Ooh, let me go into my shell, you know, let me dig a hole right. in it, you know? Um, so for me, I think, had I been given the opportunity to have trans surgery, I would wonder if uh, being able to, to talk to somebody like you would have been more helpful for me because I am literally going in blind, you know? Yeah. And I think having the resource to talk about it with somebody who's a professional, who could help me, who's enlightened and educated about this field, it would probably help me better to to, to know, not necessarily to change my mind or to convince me out of it, but to at least make me feel comfortable that I'm going into it knowing that this is the right decision for me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and as an adult, you know, because I only transitioned three years ago, I was able to make the choice to go to a therapist and, and I wanted to do it anyway, even regardless of about the letter, I wanted to do it for me yes. because I knew that I needed to talk to someone to make sure, am I making the right decision? 
or is this just years of abuse or is this just years of being bullied or is this years of you know like why i wanted to get down to the bottom of why i wanted why do i feel this way and it was yeah. really beneficial for me because at the end of the day i realized everything i felt it was true it was authentic this is who i am and it's not because of the environment or it's not about society it's not about culturally it is literally because i really was born in the wrong body and this is just how i feel yes and, um but i mean but it's very comforting to know that at least i talked to somebody about it and it's not even so much that like you know the therapist is giving me information it's the fact that i was just able to talk about it talk about in, a, in an environment of non-criticism or judgment exactly and there's some there's something really powerful about hearing yourself when you talk to a therapist mm -hmm. i feel like that is probably the best part of the therapy is that as you're talking you're actually hearing yourself say the words and it's out loud like you yeah exactly and when you hear that loud you are actually processing it in a very different way than when you only hear it inside your head you know i agree nick yeah so wow uh, I, I really that people i feel you know and i've argued with certain friends about this is i think everybody should feel in you know empowered to go to a therapist or find somebody that is certified that they can talk to that can help them in a way based on what their needs are but i don't think that it should be a, a legal requirement in order to have surgery that you have to get this you know consultation i agree yeah. so i hope that that things move in that direction for people that want top surgery as I, you know, and I believe that it will, I believe that it will. And, you know, I just really appreciate you coming on today and being so open to talk about your journey yeah, as a trans individual and your, how your life brought you to making your beautiful shoes. How can people reach you and buy your shoes and learn more about you? Uh, well, uh, before I go to that, I just want to say one more thing is that I think that the medical community should just have resources available for you know the trans community or people who are looking into transitional surgery like such as the WPATH like so that they have resources right and yeah not, not make it a requirement but just say hey these are resources that you can access can yes I agree and in terms of reaching me uh, on my website nickcasey.com n-i-k-k-a-c-y.com or I'm on Facebook uh, as Nick Casey or Nick Casey Footwear. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at Nick Casey Footwear. Um, and you, or you can email me at Nick at NickCasey.com. N-I-K-K-A-C-Y for our listeners. Yes. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Lisa. I had a great time. And thank you so much for having me. Me too. You're welcome. Bye. Have a wonderful weekend. I will. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. That concludes our show today with Nick Casey of NickCasey.com. Join me next week as I have on the show therapist and author John Gray releasing his sequel to his book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Same day, same time. I hope everyone has a fantastic week. Listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only.